Many of you know that I really like to do woodworking. Um, I actually, on occasion, not often, will refer to myself as a woodworker. Um, and of course, you know, if you want to spiritualize that, it just means I'm a little more like Jesus, right? The carpenter. But if I came to you and I said, hey, I'm a woodworker, and what that meant is that I had watched a few YouTube videos and spent a few thousand dollars on tools, but then never spent a moment in my shop actually taking raw wood and moving it to be something either beautiful or functional or the ideal, which is both beautiful and functional, you would think me a fool, right? I mean, if I walked around saying, hey, I'm a woodworker, I work with wood, but then never did, there would be a problem. Now, if I'm honest, I don't spend nearly as much time as I wish I did or could doing that. Life is busy and full and with kids and ministry and everything else going on. There are days when I wonder if I am still a woodworker. But then there are moments when I get an hour, I get two or maybe even a few and I go out to the shop and, a, and a f an hour or two later, however long it is, I walk back into my house and I show Betsy either the pen that I've just made because I turn pens or the bowl that I made because I also turn wood into bowls um, or whatever else it might be. And there's a moment, there's a feeling of recognizing that this is something that was accomplished. And there's an experience to that. Today I want to talk about that experience as far as it comes into being a Christian. Because we know that we would be fools if we said that we were Christian. But there was no element or aspect of Christian in our lives. We would be fools if we said that we were a Christian and all we ever did was show up on church on Sunday. And the other six days, the other however many hours, our faith was not a part of our lives. We're in John chapter 14. We've been in John chapter 14. We only have two more weeks in John chapter 14. Last week, we saw that the Spirit is promised to people such as us, to believers, to those who love Christ and obey his commands. And it was clear from last week's passage, In verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Verse 16, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper for the Spirit to come, for us to truly be saved. It comes out of, out of our works. We're saved by faith, but the sign of that faith is love for Christ and love to do what Christ has called us to do, his good works, his commands. We saw last week that the Spirit will dwell in us. 
But not only the Spirit, we begin to see that not only does the Spirit dwell in us, but so does the Son. And the amazing thing we're going to see this week is that so does the Father as well. We don't think about that or talk about that very often, but it is the clear teaching of our passage today. Everything we're going to read today stems out of what we talked about last week, that we must be people who love Christ by keeping his commands. So let me read our passage for today. Today we're going to be looking at um, John chapter 14, starting in verse 18. We're going to move through verse 24. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, that is not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Friends, upon the foundation of last week, we build this week. This is what we have to do when we approach Scripture, is build upon the foundations that are built before. When we are, were, or when you are, called to be a Christian, when the voice of God comes into your life, the Holy Spirit leads you, there is something that happens to us. We get to live. We get new life. And some of us have missed this completely. For some of us, we came to Christ once upon a time. We prayed a prayer. We said some words. And then we kept on living the same life that we had been living before. Identical in every single way. We may then have said, well, I'm a Christian. But the people in our lives who knew us then and know us now might look and say, what do you mean by that? Really? Because you're the same person. We are called to live a different life. We go to John 10.10, which actually seems like an eternity ago that we studied this. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The implication there is that without Christ, there is no life and it is not abundant. The lives that we lived before Christ were not life at all. And they certainly weren't abundant. But we are called to live and to live abundantly. John 10.10. 10. We can fast forward to the Apostle Paul who in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24 said this, that we must put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Christian, if you are a Christian, you are called to take off your old life and put a new one on in Christ. You are called to this. We are all called to this. The reason for that is because when we become in Christ, when he brings us into himself, we become new. There is literally something different about the believer than the non-believer. There is something different about you if you are in Christ than the non-believer you you once were and with your non-believer neighbor now. You have something that they don't have. You have something that you did not have. And we're going to see that in this passage. We're going to see that, maybe some of that in this passage, because certainly there's more than what's contained here. And what we're going to do today is look at a few promises that we see here. Promises that Christ says, look, if you are in me, if you have a new life in me, then these will be true for you. And the invitation that I make to you today is to ask yourself whether or not they are. Is what Christ tells us here true in your life? Is it true? Or is it false? We're going to look at a few promises. Verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus here is making a promise. He's setting the stage for this whole paragraph and teaching. Right? This statement is a promise, and it sets the this, this, this statement for the rest. It sets everything for the rest. In Greek, the word for orphan is orphanos. Orphanos. You don't need to know that, except that I'd love for you to. Hear the common emotional theme across the meanings for orthanos when you look it up. Hear this. One of uncertain affinity. That means someone who doesn't belong anywhere. Someone who is bereaved. Someone who is parentless. Someone who is comfortless. Someone who is father. Less. When the Bible uses the word orphan, orphanos, it is talking about someone who fits this category. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says, you are this. Right? He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. That tells us what? That they are orphans. They are currently one without affinity. They don't belong anywhere. They are bereaved. They are sad. They are in grief. They are parentless, comfortless, and fatherless. And we know that's true because this whole section of John chapter 14 is Jesus trying to comfort them as he teaches them and shows them that he's leaving. The reason they're in grief is because Jesus is leaving. He's about to be killed. They are about to be parentless. Because they have trusted in Christ as their parents for the last three years. 
And if Christ is gone, then who do they belong to? To be an orphan in Scripture is to be one who has nothing. To be one without a place. To be one who's in a state of grief and trouble without a home. Does this describe you? Does this describe you? Does this describe your old life, perhaps? The one that you were before Christ came to you and rescued you. The idea of orphans throughout the Bible is usually united with the word widow. You often see through the Old Testament and the New the call to take care of orphans and widows. Why these two together? Because they have one thing in common. They have nothing. In a society where where the man, the husband, ruled and reigned, where, where, where he was in charge and where he owned the business, he owned the property. If he died, the wife and the kids had nothing. And so God's people and the church have always been called to take care of those who are orphans and widows. This is the heart of God. Why? Because at the truth, at the heart of it all, we are all that. Every single one of us is orphanos. Every one of us. And God's heart is to rescue us, his people. The way that I like to think about this is that, that orphanos means to be in a state of dependence and to have no one to depend on. To be in a state where, where you need, but there's no one to meet that need. This is, this was every single one of us. But Jesus says to us, he promises his disciples and this extends to us. He says, I will not leave you there. You have been there, but I will not leave you there. And he says, I will come to you. I will come to you. What he's saying is that you have been orphanos. You have been orphans, but you no longer are in me. In me, you are no longer one who has no affinity. Instead, rather, we belong to him. We have a place. Just a few sermons ago, a few verses before, what we saw is Jesus say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. We have a home in him. We are no longer in Christ those who live in grief, for we see and know true life. The book of 2 Thessalonians, it tells us to not grieve like the world does. Why? Because we are a people of hope in him. We are no longer parentless, for we are adopted into the family of God. God is our father. We are the children of God. John 1 tells us that those who believe in Jesus have the right to become, to claim, the right to claim to be part of the family of God. We are no longer comfortless, those who cannot be comforted, for we have a comforter, the Spirit who dwells in us. And we find comfort in the truth of the gospel. The people who have been us find hope and help and life. Christ will not leave us as orphans, but he comes to us. This is the promise. Church, are you still an orphan? Do you live as an orphan in the family of God? 
Or has Jesus become to you the end of your orphanos? The second promise we see. Jesus says, you will see me. Verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Now this seems a little funny, and it's actually going to strike uh, Judas, not a scary yet funny in a, just a minute too. Because how in the world can we see something that nobody else sees? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you already know this to be true. That there is nothing that could convince you that Christ isn't real, that Christ isn't alive, and yet there is nothing that will convince the people of this world that he is. And we sit here mystified and wondering, how do they miss it? Maybe you miss it. Maybe you're sitting here in this room right now and you're thinking, I don't see it either. But I see in you that you see it. Jesus says, yet a little while and the world sees me no more. The interesting thing about this verse in verse 19 is that this is the only set of present verbs in a passage that is all about the future. It's as if Jesus is saying, they don't see me now and they won't see me then, but you do see me now and then. Yet a little while and the world sees me no more, but you see me. That's the better grammar in this, the more accurate grammar. But in a whole paragraph of wills and future tense, we read this and it looks funny. This is not about the future, church. This is about now. It was about then, and it is about now. Do you see Christ? Do you have a vision of Christ, even though he's not standing right here in front of us, even though we can't do what Thomas would do and feel the scars on his hands? We get a sense of this even more so as we get to verse 20. Jesus says, in that day, that's a future day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, church, that's a pretty complicated statement. That you will know that Jesus is in the Father, and that you, that would be us, are in him, and that he is in you. Jesus says, you will know this. Well, if I can't see it, and I can't touch it, how can I know it? By faith. By faith. See, faith is the spiritual insight that we are given by Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that our faith is actually Christ's, and it is his gift to us. What that means is that if you are a Christian, you are given something other people don't have. You are given that by Christ. You have something they don't have. And by that, you can know that you are in Christ. That he is in you, that he is in the Father. We can't know that any other way but by the Spirit telling us that. It is insider information. Jesus 
Jesus uses a couple words here that I just want to highlight really quick. Jesus says, yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. This leads us, friends, to Ephesians, or to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hear this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction. These are two words that were given in Scripture for how we are supposed to be experiencing Christ. Assurance and conviction. Assurance is to know something concretely. Assurance, to possess something clear. Conviction is, is something that we act upon, right? That is what a conviction is. It's something we believe so strongly it drives our lives. This is not some blind faith. This is not some leap into the dark. It is both reasonable to put your faith in Christ and faithful to do so when you see him, when you hear him, because he gives us that information. Christian, are you one who sees Christ with conviction and assurance? Or is that missing from your life? Our next promise, verse 21, the rest of 21, Jesus says, because I live, you also will live, or you will live also. He just gets done saying that they don't see, but you see. And then he says, he's still building on all this, because I live, you also will live. This truth is at the center of all of this. For if you don't live, then none of these promises are true for you. If you don't have life in Christ, then nothing else I'm saying matters today. It may be how you identify, all these other pieces will be how you identify whether or not you are alive in Christ. But without this one, none of the rest apply. What we need to remember is at this point, every single person that he is talking to in person, his disciples believe they are followers of him. They will all be proven and tested. Their faith will rest assured. They will carry their salvation all the way through. They also know what's coming. They know Jesus is about to die. We've seen that. The apostles, the disciples at this point, they know that in a few hours, they don't know how it's going to happen, but that Jesus is going to die. They know that he's going to be taken from them. And Jesus says to them, look, I live. I live. It is the nature of Christ to live. He does not say, this is the only other present verb. He does not say, I will live. He says, I live. I live. The Lord of life his nature to be alive. So he says, I live. Death could not hold him because his nature is to live. Friends, in the same way, in the same way, when Jesus says, because I live, you also live, what he's saying is that in the same way that I live, guess what, Christian? You live too. As Christ lives, so do we. It is the nature of those who have died to self 
with Christ and have been raised to new life to keep on living. To keep on living. Because we have been remade in his image. As he lives, so do we. It is not, though, to keep on living as we once did. For the Bible tells us that that was not living at all, but rather that was the living death. Instead, we live as Christ lives in newness of life. Eternal life is not waiting for us in heaven, in the future. Eternal life is now. And if we're going to spend eternity living in a certain way, friends, why don't we just start that now? Why don't we start living that way now? This is a promise that's made. Christ says, as I live, you too will live. You will live. Christian, are you living a new life? Are you living a new life? The next promise we see is in verses 21 through 23. Christ says, I will manifest myself to him. Let's read these verses. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Right? Judas is still sitting there. How are we going to see you, but nobody else will? Just doesn't make sense. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He says we will come to him and make our home with him. To manifest is to experience. He's already talked about the promise of knowledge that we could not have apart from being in him. And now what he's talking about is an experience of himself in our lives. To manifest something is to materialize it. It is, it is for it to be there, which is why Judas is so confused. He says, if you're going to be right here with us, then how in the world is the world not going to see you? But we will. You see Judas's confusion in that. Jesus isn't talking about a physical presence, is he? This whole John chapter 14 section is actually getting his disciples ready to not be with him physically. He is getting them ready for our experience of Jesus. Right? None of us have ever gotten the chance to get into a time machine and to go visit Jesus in Jerusalem, if that was even possible. He's getting them ready for the only way that you and I experience Christ. And he is saying, I will be as real then as I am now. You will experience me. You will experience my presence. How? How? John 15, 5 
the one that we are to abide in. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. It is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now we're going to be preaching through that in just a few weeks, so I'm not going to talk a lot about that. The present, the present Christ is the one that we abide in. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that there are seasons where you do abide in him and there are seasons where you don't. And you know that if you are not currently abiding in him, that you have nothing and that there is nothing. But rather we are to abide in him, to live in him. presence with us manifest in such a way that he is the one who goes on mission with us. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says, Go there, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Have you ever experienced Christ on mission with you? That moment when you're talking to someone, whether a Christian or not a Christian, and suddenly you have the right words and the right experiences to share the gospel in such a way that you either lead that person to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, or you encourage their soul through the word. That's Christ on mission with you. He says, I will be with you. Abide in me, and we will do Amazing things. And he is the one who is here for us. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He manifests himself in our lives in such a way that he is our constant help in times of need. He is manifest. He is with us. The believer, the believer knows that Christ is there. Now we may have moments where we forget, right? We may have moments because we are a forgetful people where we forget that Jesus is right there with us, that he is our constant help, that we are to abide in him. And in those moments, we wake up and we realize we must repent and turn back to him. But if you are a believer who has never experienced the presence of Christ, who has never experienced Christ manifest in your life, in a clear way, then you are missing something. Because Christ promises to those who love him, to those who keep his commands, that he will be with us. Then he says, then he says, and catch this, he says not only Will the Spirit be in our lives? We talked about that last week. But so will He, and so will who be? The Father. Look at what He says. 
Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So not just the Spirit dwells in us, but the truest understanding of the Trinity is that where any person of the Trinity is there also are the rest. So there is the Spirit, there is the Son, and there is the Father. And i got to be honest, I'm not sure I've ever thought about that before. That it's not just the Spirit and the Son who are with us, but the Father too. And then we go back to the first words of this passage. Jesus says, I will not leave you as what? Orphanos. He will not leave you as an orphan. Because not only is he where we find our affinity, is he our comforter, is he our helper, is he the one who brings us into this, but he also brings us into the presence of the Father so that we are, in the truest sense, no longer fatherless. Because the Father lives with us as well. Orphanos. I said Jesus set the stage, right, for this whole thing, for what he's getting at, for the ultimate point. He promises that those who are in him will hear, understand, receive these promises. Rather, we will not be left as orphans, that we will see with understanding that is given to us by God, that we will live as Christ lives, and that we will see manifest Christ in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This, what we're talking about today, is the normative experience of a believer. What I mean by that, it is what most, if not all of us, will or should experience as participants in the kingdom of God. This is the normative experience, which means if you're sitting here and you're thinking, haven't experienced that. Haven't experienced that. Haven't experienced that. And haven't experienced that. Then there's a problem. There's a problem. This would be like someone claiming to be a woodworker, but never having had the fun and joy of crafting something out of wood with their own hands. This would be Someone who claims to be an athlete but has never had the experience of competing or even for that matter finishing a race, a match, or a game. This would be like a Star Wars fan who has never seen the movies. If you call yourself a Christian and are missing all of the promises or even some or most of the promises of God, then there's a problem. There's a problem. And Jesus tells us the solution. He says this over and over again in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you are a Christian who is missing out on the promises of God, then Jesus tells us what's wrong. There is something broken in your love, and or there is something broken in your obedience. There is something in your life that is preventing 
the good and awesome promises of God from taking effect. Or you're not saved at all. Jesus tells us that if we are missing something crucial here, it is because our love or our obedience is broken. And if that's you today, I want to urge you to get on your knees, to cry out to the Lord. Psalm 139 tells us that it says, Search me and try me, O Lord. Know my thoughts. Know if there's anything unright in me. The implication there is, of course, that God would tell us that. Why does David have to pray that prayer? Because David, like us, is blind. And he doesn't see it all the time. I urge you, today, don't wait. Whether you have been a Christian for years and these things are missing, or you're still struggling with whether or not you should even follow Christ, I'm urging you today to not let another day go by where you're missing out on what Christ is giving us. But to... Confess your sin before the Lord, even if you don't know exactly what that sin is. Right? There are days where we just need to say, Lord, I don't even know where this is coming from. I don't even know why I'm saying or doing the things that I'm saying and doing or why my heart feels the way it does, but here it is. And we repent. We turn to him. Today's the day. Today is the day. Do not let the promises of God go by one more day. Do not miss out on them even one more day. But give your life over to Christ. Receive his salvation or reconfirm that salvation in your heart and in your life and be found in him. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I need to do that, but I don't even know how to do that, then that's great. That's a great place to be because this is a place that is safe for that. Come find me, Scott, Don, or somebody else in the room that you know loves Jesus and come talk about what that looks like in your life. Let us pray with you and, and hear you. And I pray that we'd be allowed to bring you into salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Don't leave here today without that. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you and we seek your face. God, some of us may not even know how to seek your face, and that's okay. For Lord, your word tells us that when we seek, when we knock, you will open the door. And, and God, I pray that, that we would, that we would look for you and that we would find you through the Spirit's leading. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word, to live it, to live the new lives that we're called to. I thank you for making us your own by ending our, our status as orphans and making us children of God. 
And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room right now who is not yet a child of God, that today would be the day that they come before you and they give their life to you. To believe in the name of Jesus. To be adopted into the family of God. I thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives, in this church, in this community, Lord, for we see how faithful you are. And Lord, we want to see more. We want to see more. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, and we come before you in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we're coming now to the time of communion, the Lord's Supper, and this is a time for us to remember, especially us forgetful people. This is a time for us to say to ourselves, to the people around us, I believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and that we give our lives to him. This is that time. If there is sin in your life, this is also that time to confess that before the Lord. Bring that to him. Hear the words of forgiveness, but do not let them be the end of it. He says in his word that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He also says to sinners, go and sin no more. And he says to all of us that we can have new life. If this moment is the beginning of that for you, then amen. You're invited to this table if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you don't yet, then wait. Let it sit. Come talk to us. It is worth asking the right questions. It is worth bearing out your heart and your soul and your life to know whether or not Christ loves you, whether or not Christ is even real, and then to give your life. It is worth that time, that energy in your life. Don't let it go.